the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Household. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hello again. Cleveland, best location in the nation, and home to the smartest, best-looking, nicest, and humblest people on earth. Thanks very much to Roger Clegg at the conclusion of the last hour for illuminating us on all manner related to racial preferences and the deleterious effects it has, not just on society, but particularly the purported beneficiaries of such affirmative action. We've been talking about a lot of different things and we want to get into movies and all manner of things like that and have some fun. Uh, I want to go very quickly before I go into another subject matter to John, who's been holding since about February of 2017. John from Chardon. John, you there? Hey, good morning, Peter. Hi, John. Uh, I, I've got the two movies that George C. Scott played General in. Now, who's that? One, he... He played he played George Patton in the movie Patton. There you go, great one. That was the first one, and the second one was uh, Doctor Strangelove, subtitled "How I Learned to Love Love the Bomb." John nailed it. That's general. exactly right. Uh, I as a prize, you get to listen to the rest of the show. Uh, that's something that is, uh, yeah, of, of course, it's got, you can't put a price on that. But, uh, yeah. John's exactly right. Some, of the, two of the best movies of all time. Now, Dr. Strangelove is not going to be confused for a conservative movie by any stretch, but it's a great movie. Very funny. George C. Scott does play the general in there who gets in a fight with the Russian ambassador. Press, and the yeah. famous line in that fight was uttered by Peter Sellers playing the president. And he says, gentlemen, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. But George C. Scott ripped the heck out of that role. Of course, he was phenomenal in Patton. For those of you who are Patton files, and um, I've read just about every Josh right on the money getting the theme song for Patton, the movie Patton, um, one of the best movies around. 
But uh, I've read just about every biography. No, every biography about Patton, I'm even quoted in one, which was one of the highlights of of my life to be quoted in uh, a book about Patton. But George C. Scott looked like Patton. His mannerisms were like Patton. They were not apocryphal at all. But the one thing, John, as you may recall, that was different about George C. Scott and Patton, I don't know if you know this, do you know what was different between George C. Scott and the actual Patton? Well, George C. Scott didn't go to West Point. Well, well, that's true also. And you remember that George that uh, uh, Patton started out at the Virginia Military uh, Institute before he went to West Point. But in terms of depicting okay. Patton, the one thing that George C. Scott got wrong, arguably got wrong, and I'm not sure he could have done much about it, was the voice. As bizarre as it may seem, for someone as macho as Patton, he had a high-pitched voice. I'm- And it was, uh, you know, it would throw people off because he had this fierce persona. The name Patton inspired fear in a lot of folks besides the Germans and the Russians. But when he spoke, he had this high-pitched voice. But nonetheless, the manner in which he presented himself, and for those of you who have seen the movie Patton, at the very beginning there's the iconic scene, you may remember this, John, where he's giving an address to to the troops, uh, standing in front of that gigantic American yeah. flag, when he did things like that, and those are true, he would do that on a regular yeah. basis. Uh, when yeah. he did things like that, his high-pitched voice was not a problem whatsoever because he was so aggressive, so fierce. People forgot about that voice. And then you remember another speech he gave right after the soldier-slapping incident to uh, the members of the 7th Army, where he was commanded by Eisenhower to apologize to everybody, that was another, it, it's true, what happened there was true, um, but that was another occasion in which the high-pitched voice was not impediment to him portraying the fierce nature of George S. Patton. John, thanks Peter, very much. Yes. Peter, do you, re- do you remember what uh, 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 Patton said when he addressed, addressed the troops? He said, uh, he, he said, I don't want you to die for your country. I want the other, other guy on the other side, the poor bastard, to die for his country. Yeah, uh, he, he used the term <laughs> SOB for his country. And, you know, um, boy, the military has changed significantly, uh, mostly for the better, obviously, since the days of Patton. But there are a number of historians that will cite to you certain figures in history who we use and then discard. And I think Mark Levin has been good at this, and there have been a few others who have noted that there are certain indispensable people um, who the nation or a nation uses, but then is put off by the fact that, oh my goodness, we had to use this disreputable character to accomplish mm-hmm. our objective. One of those, for example, who wasn't discarded completely, but almost suffered the same fate was Ulysses S. Grant. Uh, when Ulysses S. Grant was a general, he was winning. You know, remember, he was winning. And, you know, some of the elites back then, very comparable to our elites, would question Lincoln as to how they could have this guy. Ulysses Grant was this scruffy guy. He was a drunk. He drank constantly. And they're saying, how can you have a guy? like We've got these nice, polished guys, these clean-cut guys like McClellan and folks like that. And those guys, of course, weren't winning. And Lincoln said, uh, and I don't remember the exact phrasing, but he said, I cannot spare this man. He fights. But then, of course... 
people wanted That's to get exactly rid of, accurate. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to get rid of Ulysses S. Grant because he was, you know, this guy. He's just he didn't look like everybody else. He didn't talk like everybody else. And Patton, Peter, yes, John. Yeah, my, my best friend from the eighth grade uh, went to West Point, and he played on. He was the fullback on uh, Army's last un, undefeated team, and he alludes there's there's a statue of. Uh, of uh, Patton and on at uh, on the plane at West right. West Point, yeah. So he's he's finally remembered. Yeah, and Patton was one of those individuals who you know, um, as soon as his worth had been taken advantage of, you know, the phenomenal drive to the SAR, uh, the relief of Bastogne, the things that no one else could do, we. Cast him aside. Now, okay, uh, given today's uh, sensibilities, Patton couldn't survive, you know, five minutes of West Point before he'd be kicked out. But he was a necessary individual. There are very few indispensable people throughout history. We can probably name them right here, in fact, at least as far as the United States is concerned. Patton was one of those individuals, and the movie was a great movie. Uh, there are a lot of conservative themes to it, of course. Patton himself was a Democrat. If people don't realize that, Patton was a Democrat. Mm. He didn't like many of the Democrats that were out there, but in every other aspect of his life. Remember, the Democratic Party of 1930s and 1940s wasn't the Democratic Party today. <laughs> Pat, yeah, that's Patton, true. That's Patton would sure. be baffled by what he would <laughs> see today. But yeah, he, he was I a, think he'd be a Republican, but anyway. I, yeah. I have no doubt about that. But the manner in which he comported himself in most aspects of his life was clearly conservative. His outlook was was clearly conservative. Um, yeah. John, thanks very much for the call. Did you have uh, any Thank other you. movies that um, uh, you wanted to mention? Well, you know, thanks to Turner Classic Movies, they, uh, they, they keep you up to date on these old-time movies. I, I'm a big fan of Humphrey Bogart, but... In all his movies. Yeah, the, Fal- anyway. the Maltese Falcon and so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. What? We've got this. I'll tell you, the, Josh is right on top of things. Our, our, <laughs> our producer extraordinaire, the big mocker here. Uh, at the yeah. drop of a hat, he can come up with the appropriate theme music. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, okay. Th- th- John, thanks very much for the call. You have a good weekend. Uh, thanks for calling Peter, very much. nice talking. Same okay. here. John brings up a good point. I'm sorry for monopolizing time here, but I love talking about these historical characters. And, of course, Patton is one of the favorites for conservatives. If you have a chance, there are at least a dozen good biographies of Patton. I am lazy, so I like to learn my American history by reading biographies of significant individuals in history because with those biographies, you're always going to get what happened during those relevant periods of time and what kind of impact these individuals had. Patton spanned several decades from World War I. Some of the most colorful descriptions of, of Patton involve his service under Pershing in World War I. They're extraordinary when you read them. The, the, the times, for example, when he rode on top of a tank into battle. This kind of stuff sounds like it's out of a cartoon, but it was all true. And Patton standing, I'm sorry, sitting in the middle of a field in France. This was shortly after he came on after the invasion of Normandy and broke out through the hedgerow country and ran toward the Tsar. He was sitting in this huge pasture, smoking a cigar, 
and German planes were coming by bombing, and people were, were, were astonished, his, his, his staff and the other soldiers looking at him, sitting there in a chair in the middle of this field while bombs are exploding all over him, and he's you know, uttering expletives, challenging the Germans to hit him. Those are the kind of things he would do. We don't see people of his ilk that much uh, these days anymore. Um, I see that we had one caller here who want to talk about a matter, but let me just, uh, and again, I don't mean to be in a monopolizing time, but one thing that we didn't sufficiently address yesterday was the announcement of Joe Biden to enter the Democratic primary for the presidency. We touched about it a little bit, and immediately he became one of the two front runners. I see that you know Bernie Sanders still has the highest polling numbers of any Democratic primary contender. But immediately, Joe Biden jumped into a strong number two position. And at least one poll has Biden ahead by eight points over Trump. Of course, this gives a lot of people the vapors, especially our friends over at MSNBC and CNN who think that, oh, my goodness, Trump is our, or Biden is our savior over Trump. But I would remind people when I saw that, there are a couple of things to keep in mind. For those of you who've been around for a while, you know these things. Number one is, the current polling for Biden is likely going to be the high watermark. Because throughout history, the highest numbers that a candidate typically gets, keep this in mind, the highest numbers occur immediately upon the first pronouncement of entry into the race, and everything goes downhill after that. Now, there could be some blips here and there, and of course, circumstances and events can dictate how a candidate's poll numbers fare, but Biden likely is at the high watermark. And for those of the pundits on MSNBC, CNN, and the whole host of left-wing media who believe that this is an indication that that Biden is their savior over Trump and that Trump's in trouble. Remember this. Biden has an eight-point lead right now. In 1984, not the novel, but in 1984, at the same point in time, sorry, in the 1984 election cycle, the same point in time, Walter Mondale, remember him? who went on to become the Democratic candidate for the presidency against Ronald Reagan, was ahead of Reagan by six points. And you remember what the outcome was. Ronald Reagan, 525 electoral votes, the biggest landslide imaginable. The only state he didn't win was Mondale's home state of Minnesota. So, Democrats, don't get your hopes up. Sleepy Joe Biden which is the name that Trump gave to him yesterday, I don't think he's got much of a chance. So I understand we're about to go to a break. We're up against it. For those currently holding, please hold. It'll just be a couple of minutes, and we'll come back to your calls. Pete Kirsten now sitting in for Bob France and the Bob France Authority. I want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. It's authority. When you were young and your heart was an open book. Hello again, Cleveland Peakers now. 
filling in for Bob France on the Bob France Authority. We only have a couple of minutes until the bottom of the hour. We've got people holding, and I want to be fair to everybody. Uh, Sally's been holding for a while. Sally, if you could just hold on through the break. I've got one call that I want to get to just before you, and I hope we can do this very quickly. We have got holding on, uh, I'll put him on line one, Max from Hudson. I think he wants to talk about movies. Max, you there? Pete. Yes. Uh, been enjoying your show, and I wanted to get good topic about conservative movies. But which are your favorite hypocritical conservative movies? That is, movies that have a conservative point of view but have the most liberal actors ever. <laughs> the good news is we don't get too many of those because these days liberal actors try not to act in movies that even have the whiff of conservatism about them. But if I were trying to think of something that was purporting to be conservative but really didn't turn out to be conservative, it's a hard one. Do you have a, any, any ideas, Max? Uh, Mission Impossible. So you got Tom Cruise, you got Alec Baldwin, <laughs> and, and I, I just couldn't think of anything more hypocritical than that. Well, I guess so. Um, I will tell you that one of the ones that I enjoy, even though you've got liberal actors in it, is there are, uh, if you take a look at some of the uh, Jack Ryan movies, the Tom Clancy movies, you have Alec Baldwin in the first one, Hunt for Red October, which is probably the right. poorest of the Clancy movies. Um, but some of them that I like is the, the one that I like, I think, that doesn't get much play is, you know, I mean, um, Harrison Ford plays in a number of them. But uh, the most recent one, which was called Jack Ryan. It also had, I think it was Kevin Costner in it, along with Chris Pine. And Chris it, Pine, right. right. It was a young uh, uh, Jack when he started Ryan. started out. Right, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. right. And those are some of my phrases. I, I mean, obviously, I love Clancy novels. Uh, Clancy, of course, died a few years ago, and the franchise has been taken over by a host of other writers, including Mark Greeny, who's also one of my favorite conservative writers, and Mark Greeny is a conservative. I've had the pleasure in writing my novels of meeting with, uh, or either, either by email, phone, or in person, a number of conservative authors who write bestsellers, and they're phenomenal people. I've been invited to go shooting with some of them, and as everybody who listens to this show who knows me, um, I may have a, a complete arsenal of weapons, none of which I can shoot accurately. We're at the bottom of the hour. Uh, for those of you holding, please continue to hold. Max, thanks very much for your call. We'll be back Thank in you. a couple of minutes. The answer is 1420 AM and 102.5 FM. We're back again, Cleveland. Bob France Authority, Pete Kersenow, sitting in for Bob France. We have had a number of great callers. We have more callers on hold. We want to get to them in just a moment. Um, before we do so, I just want to remind everybody that I hope by the end of this hour I can talk a little bit about Joe Biden and the issue of white supremacy. He started out his announcement for the presidential nomination for the Democratic Party by attacking Donald Trump, alluding to or suggesting that Donald Trump is responsible for the rise of racism and white supremacy in the country. And it's repeated uncritically by, of course, 
the robots at MSNBC, CNN, and all the rest of the liberal media, uh, which consists of about 97% of the media. But if I have time, because I sit on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, I have the data. This is stuff I see. They don't consult with me or anybody else on the Civil Rights Commission or any other authorities who've got the data with respect to white supremacy. They merely uncritically repeat what certain propaganda groups will sometimes uh, issue in terms of press releases. But when you actually look at the data, it tells quite a different story. We've been talking about favorite movies. We've been talking about um among other things, racial preferences. I know that Sally has been holding very kindly through the break, so I want to get to Sally. He's not going to be talking about movies, I don't think, but is welcome to. But uh, I think she's got something else on her mind. Sally, are you there? Yes, I am. And I wanted to thank you for your excellent commentaries. And we wanted your opinion about if you know anything about the status of the equality bill that's floating through Congress, yeah. I believe it's supposed to be voted on in the summer after some amendments. Hopefully the amendments will um, rectify some um, concerns that we have. But uh, the first presentation we heard of it, it was a little concerning yeah. as far as limiting rights. And I wondered what your take on that was. Yeah, well, thanks very much for the call, Sal. What Sally's referring to is an amendment that has been floating around in various iterations for a while. Um, a, a bill that would, among other things, amend certain provisions of law, notably Title VII, to include as a protected class uh, gender identity, um, sexual orientation, uh, etc., Title VII right now has as protected classes certain defined categories. Many of you know that. In other words, you can't discriminate in terms of employment uh, on the basis of race, sex, national origin, color, religion, so on and so forth. And, of course, there's the Age Discrimination Employment Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act. These all purport to protect individuals from discrimination in employment. There are a host of other statutes preventing discrimination in terms of public accommodations, And we don't have time to get into all those kinds of details. But what the equality bills and equality amendments would purport to do was expand that definition. Right now, by the way, Sally, I don't know if you know this, pending, uh, it looks like it's going to be taken up by the Supreme Court. The the can have been kicked down the road for quite some time is a judgment or at least a consideration of whether or not Title VII covers gender identity and sexual orientation in terms of protected classes. We could talk about this subject for a long, long time. It's a dense subject. There are a lot of opinions on all sides of this, but let me just take this one take on it. Uh, by the way, Sally, I think you're right in terms of where what the status is. I think that there's supposed to be or purported to be a vote coming up quite soon. I'm not necessarily going to hold my breath because I've been around these things a long time, and then there are amendments, and it's withdrawn, sponsors change, so on and so forth. But nonetheless, one of the concerns that people have about this amendment, uh, look, it's, I think it's well-intended in many regards. I think the people behind it, some of the people are well-intended, some, some are not. Some of them are statists. Um, but the concern is similar to what we talked about yesterday when we had um, David Cortman on from Alliance Defending Freedom And that is that without clearly defined exemptions under what's known as the Hazana Tabor type of exemption, ministerial exemption, 
and other exemptions, what this might do is have significant constraints on religious freedom. Also, the kind of constraints it may have is the ability of schools and other uh, public accommodations to, for example, have um, male and female restrooms, male and female showers. For many of the, the listeners I know, for an audience like this, that sounds bizarre and, and preposterous, but these things are currently being litigated. There are a number of schools that have unisex bathrooms. That is, there are no, really no distinctions. Boys and girls go to these. There are boys that you will have um, boys who will shower with girls, bo- uh, transgender boys, for example. I'm sorry, transgender girls who will shower with girls. And there's been significant amount of litigation on this. The law in this area is in flux, and that's why the Equality Amendment, as Sally indicated, has been proposed to supposedly provide more clarity. My experience is that when laws uh, attempt to provide clarity, very often there are unintended consequences to it. So, Sally, we're we're watching this. Um, If you uh, call in, I'm on Bob's show every Tuesday. We monitor this kind of stuff. I'll try to give updates on it. I'm going to write myself a note on this. And I know that a lot of people have been asking about this. This is not a small deal. It's a big deal. We want to make sure that everybody in America, in America has the ability to enjoy the fruits of America. Uh, but we also make, want to make sure that our constitutional protections do protect us. So, uh, Sally, thanks very much. Did you have any comment in, in terms of favorite movies or favorite uh, TV shows, books, conservative books? I enjoyed that Patton movie a lot. I thought that was... Um helpful for, you know, information about World War II. Yeah, and, you know, again, it goes to my heart. Uh, Patton was a fairly accurate depiction of Patton. I wish there were a movie about Patton's earlier life when he was a young child, for example. It's just really fascinating going to the Virginia Military Institute, then to West Point, then on serving under uh, General Pershing, in the First World War, the interim period between the First World War and the Second World War, for any American, but especially conservative Americans, anyone who enjoys history, period, it's a fascinating study of maybe the most colorful military character in American history, and that's saying something. Because you had folks like, just more recently, you know, you've got uh, folks like MacArthur, you've got folks like Stonewall Jackson, uh, even Ulysses S. Grant, Sherman, it goes, you know, back. I mean, I, I know I'm leaving out a thousand different people, but um, in my estimation, Patton is the most colorful character in American history, and I'm willing to take calls on people who will dispute that, but I'm hopeful I can get to something which is kind of a pet peeve of mine that I think it's it's important to address. Uh, Sally, thanks very much for your call. Appreciate it, and I'm going to exercise executive privilege here. Uh, for a moment, Joe Biden announced yesterday that he was running for the Democratic nomination for the presidency, and much can be said about that. There are a lot of things to say. Joe Biden is a viable candidate. He could end up with the nomination, although I think he's going to have significant headwinds, not least of which is his own propensity to step on himself, so to speak. Um, but one thing I think bears mentioning, and some have after the announcement, is the manner in which he announced. Because it goes beyond a mere attack on Trump. Heck, get in line. Everybody attacks Trump. There's nothing new there. 
But he said things, he repeated a comedy that has been repeated over and over and over again that media knows better or should know better. And that is that Donald Trump had praised white supremacists and neo-Nazis during the Charlottesville tragedy where Heather Heyer lost her life because there were despicable characters there. And he suggested that the white supremacy movement and neo-Nazi has been encouraged by Trump, has grown under Trump, and that Trump made comments favorable by saying, and you've heard this in the media, that Trump said there are good folks on both sides of the issue. If you look at what Trump actually said, and the media know this, they know it, but they do not care. And as some have said, I think it's Glenn Reynolds who says it most often, that if you view the media as democratic operatives with media bylines, you'll get it. But they know better continue to repeat this falsehood that Trump praised both sides, meaning neo-Nazis and white supremacists, when he said specifically that neo-Nazis and white supremacists should be condemned. He made that very clear. They conveniently skip over that. Now, why am I making a big deal about that? Because Joe Biden used that as his introduction to his presence. It goes beyond merely attacking Trump. As I said before, get in line. Everybody does it. But when you talk about matters pertaining to race and fan the flames of racial hatred, that disqualifies you from these offices, and they always attribute fanning these flames to Trump, who does just the opposite. You will never convince a liberal that Trump isn't a racist, despite the fact that for 99% of his life, the liberals praised Trump's view of race, the fact that he's done so much for the black community before he was president, but they go after him, and it is, frankly, uh, disgusting when a public figure, especially someone who's been in office for 30 years with nothing to his credit, what has uh, Biden accomplished in 30 years in office, he does something that fans the flame of racial division. We don't need that in this country, especially when they do it on the basis of a known falsehood, and he says it with impunity. I know a number of you guys are holding. Um, I'm going to see if I can get to Jan, who wants to talk about Biden. Uh, we're going to be up against a break. So, Jan, I'm going to go to you very quickly. For those of you who are on hold, please continue to hold. Jan, are you there? Yes, I am. And I, what, what I think is very despicable is when I heard Joe Biden talking to a black audience and he said, the Republicans want to put you back in chains. I thought, how condescending and how disgusting and how, you know, uh, what a liar he, he is. He knows better. Yeah, and, uh, you're right about that, Jan. And Jan, you know, when you have uh, a lot of prominent Democrats, look, I've got lots of friends who are Democrats, rank-and-file kind of folks, and there are good Democrats out there, okay? Let's not be so divisive about this stuff. Uh, I'm talking about myself or anyone other, anybody else. But I'm talking about the national Democrats. They know exactly what they're doing. Um What's interesting about that approach, Jan, that he has is that not only is it false, completely false, and he knows it's false, but Joe Biden and other Democrats, Hillary Clinton, they adopt, for example, um, 
a stereotypic black speech patterns when they're addressing black audiences. And there's studies that show that liberals, when they just ordinary liberals, when they talk to blacks, talk down to blacks. These are neutral studies by academics, and they show that we deplorables, well, you know, deplorables treat blacks, Hispanics, Asians as people, not as mascots for a particular racial group. And I see that Josh is telling me we're up against it. Bo, uh, uh, TJ, everybody else who's on hold, please continue holding. I apologize for not getting to you in this segment. We'll try to get to you after we return from break. From break. Bob France Authority, Pete Kersenow, sitting in for Bob France. Um... Chris now sitting for Bob France. We only have a few minutes left. We've got a number of people holding. I want to make it very quick, give everybody a chance. So if you can be very brief in your remarks, so we can try to fit in as many people as possible. First, I go to TJ in Cleveland. TJ, are you there? Yeah, Peter, you know, no question. My favorite conservative actor is the Duke, John Wayne. (laughs) Nobody can beat him. And a close second would be Charles Bronson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the yep. Duke doesn't try to be conservative. He, that's just him. There's nothing. In, in fact, there are certain movies where the conservatism you can see is kind of written into a character. John Wayne is simply conservative, period. When he appears on the screen, everything about his mannerisms, everything about what he's doing, his objectives, he's always the good guy, you know, riding the white horse. John Wayne, probably the iconic conservative actor. TJ, uh, thanks very much for your comment. We're going to go to Rich in Cleveland. And, Rich, are you there? Yes, I am. Real quick, three things. First of all, uh, Barbara Tuckman said no one should write a history within 50 years of the event. That's how people's uh, prejudice get involved in true history. She wrote The Guns of August. And the, the story about Grant's drinking is, Completely made up. Not completely, though, Rich. Uh, no, no, I've, I've heard not that. Not, not, not to, dis- not to dispute drunk. that. But what happened he is... A, he was a poor drinker. He, <laughs> he could get, he'd get sick before he'd get really trashed. The reason why was Henry Adams, John Adams' grandson, applied for a job in his presidency and didn't get it. And then he went out and wrote about all this and trashed uh, Grant. Grant's a Buckeye. We should take take care of our own. And the last thing I want to say is uh, my uncle on my mother's side traveled across Europe with Patton back in World War II. That's it. Rich, you there? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your call. Appreciate it. And like to you to call back at some point in the near future so we can talk about Patton a little bit more. want to hear more about um, your family's experience with Patton. Um, thanks for the call. Want to go to Bo in Cleveland. Bo, you there? Yeah. Hi, Peter. Hey, hi, Bo. Just wanted to uh, bring back up this weird Charlottesville uh, demonstrations when you had people on opposite sides getting off the same bus that were bussed in by the Soros people. You have 
a situation where you have a, a mentally ill person driving a car, and I'd like to see the videos of all the cameras where he was going down the streets and they were attacking the car as well, so he gunned it or whatever happened in that situation. Nothing has been shown. Uh, it's complete media silence on that. And, and our conservatives have, any, have, have uh, not bothered to look into this uh, very deeply. And then you have a gentleman named Spencer who worked for the Obama administration who is now the leader of the so-called alt-right. Where in the hell did this guy come from, and why isn't anyone digging into this? And none of our people are, are speaking to that fact. Both uh, great observations. Thanks very much for your call. Um, I want to apologize to everybody that we really don't have a whole lot of time to really address everything in the fashion they deserve. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. I want to just close with a couple of uh, uh, thoughts of my own. Uh, Bo, thanks very much. First of all, want to thank all the people who have made this particular program possible. We've got the big mocker, Josh, who controls everything related to this program. Marcy, who's the call screener. And, of course, Bob France, who, again, had a lapse in judgment by inviting me on. One last thought with respect to Charlottesville. I don't have time, or just generally, the media and all of the so-called fake news. It's important to be very careful when we talk about matters of race because of the history of race in this country. And we shouldn't be using it for political game. Facts are important. I would invite people to just Google some of the things I've written about, uh, you know, hate crimes and Charlottesville and supremacy. The data is there. We don't need to fan the flames. And the data is being distorted, unfortunately, by political players to the detriment of good people in this country on both sides of the argument, to the detriment of the United States of America. That's unforgivable, regardless of where on the political spectrum you fall. This shouldn't be done. We are Americans. That is my identity. Before I am male or black or anything else, I am an American. It's what defines me over everything. And it is just beyond the pale that we have today this fixation on things that are minor matters in our life. I don't mean to diminish their import, but perspective is in order. We shouldn't be cowed from saying so. And unfortunately, there is a robust movement afoot to silence people with divergent opinions. That's not the America that I grew up in. It's not the America that I want my kids and grandkids to live in. We are better than this. I hear the sign-off music is coming on. want to thank all of our callers, including, I know I'm going to miss people, Brian, Roger, Alex, John, I think Sally we had, Max, Bo, and recently TJ, Rich, and all those who I didn't get to. Again, thanks to Bob France Authority and to the great people of the greatest city on earth, Cleveland, Ohio. Peekers now, checking out for Bob France. Enjoy the silence. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's Dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.